0: We start making our way back to your chair. We'll um, move things forward a little. First service, they had this thing turned up too loud. Huh? Well, sometimes I don't either, I guess. <laughs> well, if we all want to make our way to their seats, we'll go ahead and Move on to the next chapter the Lord has for us this morning. If you need a Bible, you got here and you went, uh oh, um, I left my Bible at home and my phone. It has my Bible on it. Uh, my brother's here. So hand one to you if you need it. Raise your hand. and All right. Oh, got one. We need one. Okay. Well, good morning. Welcome. I. um was told at first service that my um, title was too long. <laughs> and I thought, you should have seen it before I cut it back. Um, but the, this morning, a couple of day, when Pastor Tom texted me and said, I don't know, but we might be getting delayed because of the weather. Could you cover for me if we don't get back in time? And I said, sure. And then, of course, he ended up not being able to get out because of the Dallas area with all the ice. So um I was ready to go. I said, but, "You know, we, we've uh, God has given me something to share this morning, and um, and I think we're ready for it." Uh, so it's four lessons from Israel's wilderness years. There's actually more lessons they learned than just four, but um, and I could actually give a sermon on each one of these lessons, but we're not going to do that this morning. We're just going to do a highlight on these four, and um, and move on from there. But as it says, the text is. Uh, out of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, 24 and 20 through 27, and then 10, 1 through 12. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right into this. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you, you love us, that you um, care for us, that you watch over our lives every day for good. And sometimes, Lord, we, we, there's lessons we need to learn. We make mistakes. But, God, you're faithful and true, and you will walk us through those lessons to the desire to grow, be more godly, be more Christ-like in how we live because that pleases you, and that brings glory to your name. And that's what we want, Father, to be pleasing to you and for your name to be glorified. So this morning, as we go through your word, we just ask, Lord, open each heart to receive whatever it is you have for each one of us today to take this week to live by and to remember. So I ask that in Jesus name and all the God's people say, amen, amen. amen. Well, I thought about this the other day. I was thinking, you know, how long have I been a believer? And I added it up to years and it's been almost 43 years. Since um, I first gave my heart to the Lord and finally surrendered, I had given him. I was one of those guys who made all kinds of deals with God. And I thought God would, would be willing to make deals with me. And then I found out he doesn't do that. And uh, so finally I just surrendered. And in that time, that 43 years, I've learned many, many lessons. And I'm sure that's true for all of us here. Now some lessons I learned quickly, real fast. And some lessons, well, not so fast. And I had to go around the block a few times before it kind of funny uh, stuck. And then I'm sure that's true for some of you all here too. Some of the lessons I've learned were great lessons and they were important lessons. And some of the lessons I learned were, they were small, but they were good to learn. In fact, all these lessons the Lord has us learn... Our lessons, we need to learn them. We cannot learn the lessons from these lessons because God brings them across our path for our benefit and for his glory. One of the great lessons I learned early on, and I'm sure, again, some of you did, was that um, the spiritual walk, the growth, the spiritual growth and a spiritual walk with Christ is not a simple walk in the park, is it? I mean, it's a lot of work. Living a godly life, especially when we have this, our flesh and its will, and we got a world out there that's not walking with God and is a voice against him. And so I learned that early on, and one of the scriptures I read early on and, and memorized was Second Peter chapter one, verses ten and eleven. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, what things here is he talking about? One of those things was to learn the lesson God intended me to learn was when you're reading in the scriptures, uh, pay attention to the mistakes people in times past made that God called his own. He took time to make sure they got recorded. And then these were lessons. So the, the lesson I was getting from this is, in other words, I'm going to read about mistakes they made. And what he's telling me is, don't you make these mistakes. That's why I put him here for. And when Paul was writing the church at Corinth, he mentioned some big mistakes that the people of Israel made uh, that caused God to discipline them for 40 years in the wilderness before going in to take possession of the land that had been promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul didn't want these believers to make the same mistakes. And he thought he was just writing to the church at Corinth, but he was also writing to us. He just didn't know that yet. Uh, I'm sure he found out when he got to heaven, but I'm glad he did, because this has been helpful to remember this. So let's turn our attention now to something he used to introduce it when we get to chapter 10, and he wants to explain that our walk with the Lord and our walk with him is like a race. And I like this analogy because in many ways it feels like our lives are a race, doesn't it? The spiritual life. We're constantly running to do things in a way that please God and to, and to learn obedience and to, to learn how to do things better and in a more righteous way and a more godly life. And it's a race because there's no giving up on it. It's every day. And so he says this, and he's using this as an analogy. And we're in verse 24 of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. The word that's the Greek word translated "temperate," it means this: um, it's not something that somebody does and forces on you. It's you yourself choosing to exercise self-restraint, as opposed to somebody imposing restraint on you. It's something you choose to do, I choose to do, we choose to do, and that's what Paul is saying. Anybody who competes in the race is temperate. They're choosing to discipline themselves, to train themselves. And strict training requires a plan, doesn't it? Requires a plan. For us, it's this. There has to be a built-in schedule for daily prayer, daily devotion, and study. We've got to have time for those or we won't grow. We won't our understanding of what God is wanting us to know. Won't develop and won't expand. So we've got to have those built-in times every day and regular fellowship with other believers. We can't be an island out there and isolate ourselves. It doesn't work. Somebody told me once about the problem with isolation is you become your own, your own uh, source of judgment and your own sounding board. And I can convince myself that anything I do is okay. If it's, uh, and you can too. But when somebody else comes along and says, you know, that was not really a good thing to do. Um, and what I watched was this, and are you aware you said that, and you did this with your hands? No, I didn't. But thank you for telling me that, and next time you're thinking about it, well, you hope you are. So a good plan requires a schedule. It also requires you to be focused. Now, there's a goal we're focused on. It's called calling to make Calling to make our calling and election in Christ genuine. And three, it builds endurance, perseverance, and building a godly lifestyle and habits. So Paul goes on in verse 26 here of chapter 9, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, but not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection. Lest, when I have preached to others... I myself should become disqualified. That's quite a statement to make, isn't it? And he goes, Discipline means self-control. I don't continue to deliberately walk in ungodliness. Breaking God's laws like an unbeliever does. Or like we used to. That's what he means. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I stop deliberately sinning. Doesn't mean I don't not ever sin. But... That deliberate, conscious effort, I'm doing this, I know I shouldn't, but I'm doing it anyway. And I'm going to do it tomorrow, and I'm going to do it the next day. And what that starts to show, and some doubt, was how genuine was this decision you said you made. Because it starts to uh, make that look like maybe it wasn't too genuine. And the problem with that is that if you stay on that course, if we stay on that course, if somebody does... They may find they're disqualified at the end when it's all said and done. So when Paul says, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He's talking about a spiritual life that lacks discipline and self-control. And running the potential of being disqualified for the prize at the end. Second Peter nine says, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed. From his old sins. Now, keeping in mind Paul's analogy of running the race to win the prize that lasts for eternity, the following four lessons from Israel's past will help us avoid what Paul wanted to also avoid getting the disqualification notice at the end. So, here's the four lessons, but we're going to read the text first, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 12. Follow along with me. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses and the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Now the 40 years in the wilderness that Israel, Paul was referring to here, was judgment because of unbelief and rebellion by those uh, Hebrews that God had led out of slavery in Egypt. At the end of 40 years, the Lord said through Moses to a new generation that had been raised up. And in Deuteronomy 8.2, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Here's why. To humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments Or not? Well, how well did they do with their test? Not too good. Look at verse 5 in our text. But with most of them, God was what? Not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And I had just read in verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples, that they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, for the Christian who says, I don't need these lessons. I don't need this. I'm doing okay. I don't need this. Look at verse uh, 12 of our text. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he what? Fall. So lesson one is this. Don't set your heart on evil things. Be content and thankful. Verse 6 of our text said this. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not, what? Lust after evil things, as they also lusted. To set our heart on something in this context means to crave, covet, or be greedy for. i got to have it. And it becomes the all-consuming desire of your heart. Psalm one oh six, fourteen and 15 says this, In the wilderness their desires ran wild, testing God's patience, In that dry wasteland. So he gave them what they asked for. But he sent a plague along with it. So what did the Israelites desire in the desert? They remembered the good life they left behind. Forgetting the cruel slavery that God had delivered them from. Exodus 16.3 says... They were thinking back in Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full... And Numbers eleven five we read. Remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, and the onions and the garlic. You know, desiring these foods wasn't evil, but the spirit of discontent behind it was. They craved what God had withheld from them and were discontent with what God provided. Numbers thirty-three of uh, Numbers eleven thirty-three, but while the meat was still between their teeth, get this image in your mind: before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. This kind of craving, and we've all done that to one degree or another, is motivated purely by the desire or need of the moment. And doesn't take into account the bigger picture or long-term consequences. And we all can relate to that one. Amen? We've all done that. Craving for evil things comes when we stop being thankful for what God has provided. And we, stop think, we start thinking about what we would like to have. And not what we should have. And I've been there and I've helped a lot of men and women coming out of drug addiction that also... To help them understand that. Stop being thankful for what God has provided. The bed's not comfortable enough here. The food's not to my liking here. I used to hear that a lot. It was a, it was a residential program. is not a nice guy, he tells me things I don't want to hear. I heard that once. And I said, well, What does he tell you? He tells me that I've been living in sin and that I've been committing idolatry, and that I need to change my lifestyle, but God will help me. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear I'm okay. You know? I thought God loved me. He does. That's why He's put that man in your life, and across your path, to tell you the truth. You need to hear these things. Philippians um, 4, 11 through 13. Not and Paul talked often about um, being thankful. And he preached on it often and he lived it out. And in Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. So the lesson that God wants us to remember and learn to take to heart or relearn if we need to is don't set your heart on evil things. Be content and thankful. Remember, our goal is what? At the end, to receive the crown, to receive the prize. So it's worth the effort. It's worth the cost it takes for us. Lesson two, don't become idolaters. Love God foremost. Verse seven of our text, do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. This comes out of the uh, golden calf incident that happened at the foot of Mount Sinai. Um, Aaron says as they make this gold calf, His way reminder, Aaron says, Here's our God who delivered us out of Egypt. Now Moses is up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. And he comes down and what does he do with the first set that God himself wrote? He throws it on the ground in front of that thing. And uh, they got up to play and they had let idolatry come into their heart. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, idolatry occurs in our hearts when we replace When God's replaced by another love in our heart, do you know that's idolatry? We don't think of it as idolatry, but it is. It's idolatry. You know, one example, a couple of examples, and this real quickly, one example of idolatry is addiction. Idolatry of the heart. Remember the analogy is the believer's spiritual life being a race to be lived out in a way that leads to winning? When... um, we allow ourselves to be addicted to something the addiction now becomes the all consuming driver of our heart to find satisf- to, to satisfy it to feed it to to live for it and for the one who's coming here and saying you know i want god as lord in my life then you need to recognize the idol And your journey to find freedom from that idol starts at the foot of Calvary. And you stay at the foot of Calvary. It's there you grow. It's there you live. It's there you walk. It's there you're reminded every day the cost God paid so you could have freedom. And you will learn to not put the idols up in your heart that were so easy to do before. Amen? Amen. So recognize for that. 1 John two sixteen and 17 says this, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world's passing away and the lust of it. And I'm going, Amen, go away. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Money's another very powerful uh, idol, and many Christians have compromised with it. You know, when the flesh and the eyes lust after something and the pride of life says, and we demand to have these desires of the heart, that becomes the idols the heart is focused on and you've replaced God as your first love. Now, God's still there, but we've silenced him in our life. Don't compromise with that. Matthew, uh, those who um, let money become an idol and they begin to compromise, Often it's because they forgot about the Lord's teaching in Matthew 6, verse 31 and 34. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall I wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Sufficient. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Amen? How many have found that true? There's always troubles every day. And those are the things God says, focus on that. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm already in your tomorrow with everything you need that you're going to need tomorrow. I'm already there with everything you need. Just focus on today and don't worry about it. You're going to need money tomorrow. I know you are. I gave you a job, the ability to work. If that job goes away, I know you really need a job. you got to go find it. But he'll guide you and open the door. You know? And uh, so don't worry about it. God did, God did for us the one thing we could never do, no matter how much blood, sweat, or tears we've put into it. And that's pay the penalty his holy justice required for our sin. Everything else God wants to do in us and through us, well will include us giving him all the blood, sweat, and tears we have because it's not a walk in the park. But God enables us to do that. He's with us. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in and guides us. But we've got to listen to him, and we've got to make it a daily habit to listen to him. Be in his word. Pray. Devotion. Spend time with other believers. and Because he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter or 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear under it. You know that's a, that was a hard lesson for me to learn, and sometimes I still have to relearn it after forty-three years. And but it's a hard one. But making God first in our hearts will avoid many of the idols that the devil so subtly tries to tempt us with. You know, we all have buttons in our life. And we know if I push this, I'm bringing temptation. Well, there's somebody else who knows your buttons, and it's the adversary, the devil. And at first, when we first get saved, and there's so much to learn, he causes us to trip up over such obvious things, but we learn, and we go, next time, oh, we're not going there again, devil. No, we're not going there. It's settled. So he backs away, and he does what? He waits, and he's looking. But he learns to push your button now, but in a very subtle way. And by the time you realize something's amiss, the button's been pushed quite a ways in. And then you've got to make a decision at, and some time to back out of that thing, because now you're in the middle of something you, you didn't know you were getting uh, tested And drawn into. So the lesson. Don't become idolaters. Love God foremost. Lesson three. Don't commit sexual immorality. Be pure. Number eight. Verse eight of chapter 10. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Now that's a whole lesson. Lesson. That's a whole sermon right there. That's two sermons right there, this, the whole issue of sexual immorality. Both physical sexual immorality and sexual immorality in the imagination is where the battle is. Sexual immorality of any kind ruins God's highest purpose for us. It's His holiness. It's for us to be holy. Uh, First Peter 1, 13 through 16, So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but you know now. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says, you must be holy because I'm holy That's Peter's quoting in Leviticus 11.44 there in verse 16. You must be holy because why? God says, I'm holy. In the end, all God can do with that which is unholy is to separate himself from it forever in the lake of fire. So avoid sexual immorality. Any kind of it. Any kind of it. Be it TV, be it actual affairs, be it pornography and All that goes on up here. Avoid that. Learn the lesson from Israel. And lesson four, don't tempt God. Use wisdom. Verse nine in our text, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. That Greek translated tempt can also be translated test. So, tempt or test God in this context is to try God's patience. Now, Thinking about this, I thought about families who are raising kids. And most here probably raise kids. Okay, you usually you, you set boundaries for kids, right? There's little rules. So you do this, you can't do this, we don't want you to do that. Some kids are like this. Now these aren't most kids, but some kids are like this. And these are nice. I've had parents tell me these are really nice kids to raise. But you've got one who bumps against the boundary and learns don't go there. And so they don't anymore. And then pretty soon they're just kind of going along and they go, you know, he's a pretty laid-back kid. You know, this is all right. I hope he's not too laid-back, you know. And in a few years, I'm going to need him to be a little more ambitious than that. But it's easier. And then you've got the one who, it's, it's like a pinball in one of those pinball machines against the boundaries. Bang, 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 bang. And it's like it's work constantly having to write them. It's like every day this... Young son or daughter of mine, I'm learning that my boundaries of patience stretched farther than I thought they did. And that's just, uh, that's kids. And that's what um, God, we're, te- we're being told and encouraged here. Don't tempt God. Don't constantly run into His boundaries He has set for us in His Word. Stay, if, if you bump into it, learn the lesson about it and stay away from that boundary. Because God is pleased with that, will like it, and we will bring glory to his name before an unbelieving world. Amen? So walk in wisdom. Verse, or Proverbs chapter 9, 10, and 11 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and the years of your life will be added to you. If you are wise... You are wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. You know, we live in a, we see this a lot today in, in America, in our country. We've got a lot of leaders with a lot of agendas, don't we? And they're pushing their plan for the country, and they're pushing the visions they have, and they have a lot of knowledge in their head about how to try to accomplish that. But what's lacking in our leaders is wisdom. Why? Because there's no fear of God before them. Because if you have a fear of God, one day I'm going to answer to Him. One day I'm going to have to stand before Him. You start thinking about, okay, what kind of a life am I living? You know, God called me. He saved me. But what am I constantly doing I shouldn't be doing? And God is offering wisdom. So don't tempt God. Don't test his patience. Use wisdom as you live out your day and the wisdom he's teaching us. Spend time in Proverbs. The whole Proverbs is about wisdom for every aspect of life. And it's broken up in 31 chapters. God knew one day we would be living in a culture, in a society that has 30 days to 31 days. So do one Proverb chapter a day. Do the Proverbs of the day, we used to call it. And read through it. And let it speak to you that day. And then write it down, if you need to, to remember it. Put it in your pocket and look at it. Or a purse or whatever. Ladies, purses, like guys, you don't, you don't need a purse. Guys, you don't need a man bag. But anyway, um, um, anyway, put it in there. And if you have to, look at it from time to time. Memorize that Proverbs if you need to. It will keep it fresh. Jesus told Satan, when, when, he, when he dared Jesus to throw himself Um, off the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem. You know, he said, the the, the angels will catch you. Do it. You know, and he said, his response to him was, Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt. That's test. The Lord your God. Amen. Don't test him. Take it as word. We must all use caution and not doing or thinking what we know will lead to temptation for us. We each have buttons and we know Pushing those buttons is not wise because it will lead to temptation. So I leave those buttons alone. So the lesson, don't tempt God. Use wisdom. So let's read through the four again real quick. Lesson one, don't set your heart on evil things. Be content and what? Thankful. That's an important one. Don't become idolaters. Love God foremost. Be careful about what you set before your life and what the kind of things you start to desire for. Keep them in balance. And remember, remember the first and foremost, the love of your life um, is your God and our Savior. Three, don't commit sexual immorality. Be pure. And four, don't tempt God. Use wisdom. Walk in wisdom. So let's conclude all this and wrap it up. Each believer, and that's us, amen, has a race to run, a prize to win, and a mission to fulfill in winning the lost and building God's kingdom. The writer of Hebrews gives us pretty clear instructions on what we must do to keep focused. And it's Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, if note takers want to take that. Therefore, it says this, We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Jesus uh, uh, doesn't tell us to look at the spectators. Who are the spectators? That's the unbelievers. And Or even look at the runners. Those are our fellow believers running with us. Don't look at them. He says, but only look at him, the author and finisher of our faith, for he is holy. Learn these lessons and apply them daily until they are the habit of your day. And you won't find yourself disqualified for the prize at the end of the race. Amen? Amen. And then I just want to close with these last verses that I read at the beginning just as a reminder, and then I'll hand it over to the worship team. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Amen. Therefore I run, thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Father, thank you. God, I just pray that each of us here today who have heard these would take to heart that which that one or two or three things that you want each of us to remember this week, that we will apply it and that we will continue to strive on and realize the race isn't done until you call us home. But the prize at the end is worth whatever effort it takes, whatever cost that's required to be paid. All of it is worth it in that day. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here. And those who will listen online, that that will be the truth and the focus and the goal they will live for day after day. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen.